Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's Toby Miller here. I'm in Hong Kong and Lisa, you're going to have to help me with some pronunciation. I'm in sure. the Hong Kong Regency Sha Tin. Sha Tin, yes. Sha Tin, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I also want help with correctly pronouncing your last name, Long. Is that okay? Long. Long. Yeah. Like Long uh, and Parole. Long. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and it's very exciting to be here with you. Ah, so I'm here. Really thrilled. And while we were gossiping over the Sauvignon Blanc in our sort of international cosmopolitan way, <laughs> you mentioned that you're teaching cultural studies now yeah. to a bunch of folks. Now, where are you doing that? I am teaching cultural studies in, well, Department of Cultural Studies in Lingnan University, uh, which is uh, still by far, you know, the first and foremost Department of Cultural Studies mm. here in Hong Kong. Mm. And uh, every year we have got an intake of 32, 33 students. And uh, yeah, we've had this department for um, around, wow. Is it 10 uh, going years up to now? More than that, More. 15. Okay. Wow. Yeah, going on to 15 years. So, yeah, it's been, it's been, yeah, very challenging indeed. But as I was telling you just now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's actually even uh, much more exciting now because we are into this political juncture in Hong Kong whereby, yeah. you know, think, you know, we, we have been, we have put ourselves in this international spotlight recently mm. because of the umbrella movement. Yeah. And, and as I told you just now, you know, um, that was quite an, you know, an awakening for mm. a lot of Hong Kong mm-hmm. people, including my students. And, you know, um, I think at long last, you know, people really find that, you know, they and they themselves alone could, you know, do something to change Hong Kong. And, uh, I mean, thanks to the government, you know, they are all, you know, always... You know, they're always, you know, stumbling into these, you know, moments whereby, you know, they, they just, uh, they, 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 they want to do something, you know, um, uh, you know, to control us. But, uh, you know, after, um, oftentimes, you know, they just stumble into these things, you know, it just adds to the right. fury of Hong Kong people. And, of course, we all know by now on the 28th of September, you know, with a fire of, you know, 85, you know, tear gas. Yeah. you know, bombs, uh, basically I um, walk a lot of Hong Kong people to the point where, you know, we just have to, you know, get our acts together, put our feet down to, you know, fight for our own, you know, democracy, if, you know, that's uh, valuable to us. Now, one of the things that I read in the, the dim distance of Europe was that the different thing about this movement was that it might have coagulated around students, that they were crucial to it, mm. but actually the middle class... And much older people, middle-aged people, got invigorated by it. Is mm. that right? Do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. And but that was not like you know, um, uh, like a you know recent thing though, uh-huh. because you know, especially the middle class, you know, they have been slowly but surely, you know, sort of accumulating the kind of grudge against the the government mm. because you know they think that you know being the middle class, you know, they've always been you know the faithful taxpayers, mm-hmm. but then they kept on you know being ignored. Uh, nothing really comes back to their pockets and, you know, they really just don't get the money's worth, basically. Right. And so um, I think, you know, this is, this was the time when, you know, I think with the fire of the tear gas, you know, really brought the middle class out, you know, to say, yeah. you know, wow, we, we, it's, 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 it's no point just sitting there and looking nice, 
mm. and uh, you know just uh, basically uh, swallowing you know whatever you know mm. they have to they have they are being you know given so mm. you know you can see that with this umbrella movement there has been quite a significant bunch of middle class people who you know come out every night you know to yeah, to go to the occupied spaces, uh, you know, and uh, if you have been here, uh, the especially the uh, the occupied space in Admiralty, you mm -hmm. know, you can see a lot of the uh, you know the uh, the executives, you know, the office workers, the executives, right. the bank managers, you know, who just you know come down from their offices to the 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 occupied site because it's very close to central. Yeah. And so, which is like our CBD here, yeah. Yeah. and they so just you know come to the space, you know, uh, when they go off work, and then you know they just uh, they basically camp out, you know, in what was uh, usually you know the flyover. Wow! And it's fascinating, you know, the, the the flotilla of tents, you know, on the flyovers. It's yeah. just, I mean, mind-boggling, you know, and. Um, it's like, you know, it, it suddenly turns into such a space whereby you people just, you know, sort of create the kind of utopia, mm. what Hong Kong should be like, you know, the ideal Hong Kong. So then, you know, you have people, you know, camping out day in, day out, you know, um, they spend the night there and then, you know, in the daytime, they just pack up the tent and just go to work and then they just come back and <laughs> camp Fantastic. for like, you know, 70, 70 days. Yeah. You know that would be the longest. I think you know. I think in, in world record, you know, to to occupy such space and for seventy something year uh, days, um, and you know the kind of creativity that's there is just you know beyond imagination. I mean, here in Hong Kong, you know, so you have you know people sort of uh, working on uh, creating you know, more uh, logos and slogans. You've got mm -hmm. these you know um, uh, designers, you know, who just help people you know do. Uh, do a you know uh, the uh, yellow ribbon sort of in 599 way and uh, <laughs> you know so you know and then there is this uh, big space whereby you know there's uh, it's been termed the uh, uh, the classroom where a lot yes. of uh, youngsters and uh, secondary school students would really faithfully diligently study there and uh, yeah and then somebody would be uh, providing free tutoring service. Uh, usually, uh, university students and some of um, some of my colleagues, you know, would be there to help out with the homework. Somebody would give free legal advice and you know English language teaching. You know, wow. But then they kind of save, they kind of guard the space so sort of um, you know so faithfully as mm -hmm. if you know it's it's almost turning quite puritanical. Like you know everyone <laughs> you know sort of who walks past the classroom would be told to shush. You know. For fear that you know the students would just you know suddenly you know <laughs> would be distracted, so yeah, it's it's really a you know fascinating time you mm. know when you think think back. But then I think essentially you know that really made uh, gave a lot of agency back to you know, especially youngsters, you know, to be taking life into their hands. And then um, I mean, my students, for example, you know, they become more and more more, more motivated. I would say, really? you know, in trying uh, learning. Try to learn, you know, as much as they could. You know, some of them. I won't say all. What's the What's the profile of a Lingnan student, by contrast with the other universities that people might have heard of? Hong Kong University, mm. City University, Baptist, Chinese University. You're You're a bit 
of an outlier geographically, aren't you? Yes, yes. We are in the periphery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being the western part of new territories, yeah. and so um, yeah, and uh, we are. Um, well, the the profile of Lake Nationals will be like they're definitely not the top, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, because they would have gone to, you know, more uh, bigger universities, uh, and so um, yeah, so they they many of them would be uh, coming from working class families. Mm -hmm. uh, they will be, you know, uh, one of the very few in the family who have gone uh, to college. Have gone to college, uh, yeah. and so people, you know, parents would place a lot of hopes in them yeah. uh, to try to, you know, sort of uh, beat the <laughs> the the you know the go up the social, you know, mobility uh, yep. ladder. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they do uh, tend to be diligent, but then, you know, they kind of, you know, toss, you know, they kind of have this tension whereby, oh, well, I'm not going to make it, you know. Uh, I mean, who would, you know, be want to look up to a Lingnan student? But then, you know, they also are given this kind of, you know, hope that they would, so they would work hard. So, you know, that's quite a, you know, range of students there. Right. And quite a burden that they carry. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, as I said just now, you know, um, parents would have uh, placed quite high expectations. Uh, mm. Like, you mm. know, well, uh, we've, we've uh, <laughs> suffered because of you, you know, so as to, you know, f afford your education. And uh, many of our students are actually really, you know, sort of uh, considerate. Uh, they would, uh, well, work part-time so as not to place extra burden to their parents. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, they're really sort of making, you know, time, you know, for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, they tend to be, uh, be you, know, uh, uh, you know, quite sleepy in the daytime because they, they work quite long hours. Many of them will be tutoring. Uh, some others will be going to sales. Uh, yeah, all sorts of things. Somebody would be working in Starbucks. Um, so, yeah, and they, they'll try to earn, you know, their own keeps. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a big thing. And taking extra time to be involved in the democracy movement is another impost on their time that people from richer families might find easier to do. Mm, yeah, you put it that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, many of them, uh, well, would, uh, would be telling white lies to their parents, like, oh, I'm, I'm actually studying or, you know, I'm actually, you know, uh, hang up with their friends, you know, instead of tying up, you know, they'd be going to the Occupy spaces every night. Uh, I mean, of course, uh, to, to uh, so as you know, the parents would not be you know, worried about them. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, uh, when Mong Kok turned quite violent. Yes. Um, some of my students who, you know, are quite, you know, sort of frontline activists, uh, they would not tell the parents that they'll be going to Mong Kok. Uh, and they would, um, you know, hang there, hang out there every night. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, uh, um, um, one time I took students out to collect stories uh, at the occupied mm. spaces, and um, yeah, one uh, the uh, one of the uh, students, uh, the mum called, and uh, she's like, uh, well, I'm I'm actually uh, with my my lecturer. And uh, she's there, you know, <laughs> like uh, just to, to say that, you know, wow, she's in safe hands and stuff. Right. So, yeah, they're, they're very considerate kids. Um, yeah, so, but I think this, this movement definitely shocked them, you know, from their comfort zone. Um, yeah. 
Um, I mean, yeah, now that the, the movement has sort of died down a bit, uh, some of them you know, just return you know, to their you know, classrooms and stuff. Mm. But I'm sure you know, this movement has changed you know, a lot of their thinking. Um, for the worse, for the better, I don't know. So, and in all of this, what has been the role of intellectuals like yourself? I mean, people who are writers, teachers, thinkers, mm. journalists, people who are writing essays. I mean, the folks who are traditionally the ones who were thought of as carrying some sort of flame for democracy, freedom, justice mm. at an intellectual level. Right. Uh, What's their contribution been? Um, well, there's a bunch of us who've uh, been uh, doing, you know, offering free teaching mm -hmm. uh, in what we call a mobile classroom. <laughs> uh -huh. So um, ever since like September, uh, like uh, actually before mm -hmm. the uh, the first tear gas was fired, uh, we have already started this. Uh, so there was a week of class boycott actually, and uh, I mean we at the cultural studies department we definitely supported the students. And so, and with um, other colleagues from, you know, um, other universities, we've sort of, uh, if we've lined up, um, you know, a whole week of um, one hour slot teaching, you know, lectures. So a total of 108 lecturers are involved in that week long teaching. So every hour there'll be a different theme uh, taught by a different lecturer. In the Occupy space. At the Occupy space, actually at the government headquarters. <laughs> so we have got three, uh, three of this kind of lecture theater. And the turnout was really good. Uh, students mostly, uh, university students mostly, but youngsters yeah. or even, you know, or even sort of just uh, citizens yeah. of varying age uh, would come and listen to us. And they look, they uh, seem very interested and very motivated. So that's, uh, that was the start of the, you know, the mobile classroom. And we actually are still carrying it on, some of us. Um, and uh, I think we will just go on, especially after the movement. We, we, uh, um, we decided that, you know, a lot of these efforts should go back to communities. So um, every Saturday, some of us will be teaching, you know, uh, like uh, three-hour slots um, um, and weekends um, at the Tamar Park, which is just next to the government headquarters. And uh, it drew, draws quite a lot, quite a big crowd. And some of us will be uh, working with NGOs uh, in different areas so that, you know, we'll just, um, you know, pass on, you know, the knowledge, you know, to... Uh, community levels. Mm. So some of us, of course, will be uh, writing um, uh, articles or newspapers um, to try to, you know, uh, yeah, defend, you know, or to promote our ideas. Basically, you know, uh, I think we are uh, going to um, more troubling times. The government is going to, you know, sort of uh, uh, infringe us on all sorts of you know, different aspects of freedom. So as intellectuals, we definitely have to safeguard the space. And so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think this is just the beginning of um, a long-term struggle um, against an, uh, 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 what could be imagined as an, um, encroaching, you know, freedoms. It's just a pity, isn't it, that when the British ruled Hong Kong, they didn't democratize, you know, they weren't prepared to. Um, well, in less sense, you know, they were trying to. At um, the end. At the end. But it I wasn't guess. going to affect Push. them. <laughs>
But, you know, if only, well, anyway, I know one shouldn't always blame colonialism, but that is obviously a big part of it. Mm. That said, I'm interested that although there was this terrible state violence, Mm. It wasn't like Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why that is, do you think? That there wasn't killing. There wasn't repression at quite that level. Well, um, I think uh, I think it's also about the fact that um, um, the, uh, we've been sort of uh, helped by... what well, helped... I think it's also to do with the Western media and mm-hmm. uh, the fact, fact that, you know, Hong Kong... Hong Kong has been in international spotlight uh, on our, you know, road towards more freedoms and more democracies. And, I mean, we're guessing that um, um, a lot of the Western media has been using Hong Kong as a way to, uh, as a kind of uh, uh, a window to look at and to sort of um, uh, put on a, 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 a... on a voice uh, Mm -hmm. to sort of uh, oversee or to monitor, to check on, you know, China. Well, it's Um, a a way in, isn't it? It's an entrepôt in so many ways Mm. and somewhere that is like Singapore, Mm. the the place where Westerners imagine, whatever Westerners is taken to mean as a term, imagine that they can get a sense of life in Asia. Exactly. More simply yeah. than anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Other than India. So but that's why. In East why... Asia, there are two places where people feel comfortable mm. in terms of the use of English. Yeah. For one thing, yeah. the British history there, yeah. but also the fact that these are such dynamic places and have been exactly. really for centuries. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the thing is that the fact that Hong Kong has been kind of like an international uh, business center, yeah. I think, helps to, uh, to to build up this kind of yeah. you know. It's like a global surveillance now, like right? Yeah. Because you know, um, I mean, during the movement, there's a lot of you know um, expats. Um, there are a lot of um, you know international exchange students who've been sending you know messages, you know, back to yeah. back home, like you know, right. this is actually what Hong, what's happening in Hong Kong, you know. And during the movement too, you know, we've been under the line, the uh, attention, uh, worldwide attention by uh, foreign media. CNN, BBC, CNN, BBC Al Jazeera. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they've, they've played a role yeah. in, you know, like putting a, you know, a check onto like, you know, how far down Hong Kong has become. Long live cultural uh, imperialism, Lisa. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's one of those interesting moments, mm. isn't it? I mean, yes. noting the use of English in so many signs in so many parts of the world to mm. make points. Mm-hmm. Including anti-US points or anti-UK points, but the significance of that. Now, in terms of officialdom, what has been the attitude of, say, the senior management of Ling Nam to the students being there, to your participating and your colleagues? Do, do they keep a stiff upper lip, say nothing? Do they say, well, you better be at work normally? Do they say, we're worried about your taking students there? What is the perspective? Well, okay, I hope the president is listening to this. <laughs> um, it's, uh, we, we're getting into very interesting, um, you know, uh, politics now within the university because, I mean, of course, the general picture is that, you know, we're guessing that, and there are increasing rumors that, you know, our pro-Beijing chief executive is, uh, you know, sort of extending his claws into 
university management. Oh, really? And of late, of course, the most recent you know, issue is about the, uh, um, the deputy vice chancellor of Hong Kong U. Uh, in which um, that um, the it's been rumored that you know the Hong Kong government is trying to intervene in the selection of this deputy vice Trans chancellor, uh, uh, who's rumored to be you know uh, party Professor Chan, Johannes Chan. No, actually he's uh, he's. Um, he is actually not quite vocal in terms of you know his pro-democracy stance, but uh, still you know. Um, and there's been rumors that uh, the Hong Kong government has been uh, talking to some, the selection committee, not to get him to be oh, the not deputy to appoint vice. Exactly. Right, right, to avoid him because he's not a party guy. He's, a, he's not a yes man. No. So that's, that's the most recent thing to happen. Uh, and uh, coincidentally, we are actually looking uh, for a vice president for a, quite a bit of time. Uh, but then, you know, our president, who's uh, just landed onto the post uh, two years ago, he's been, of course, you know, he's been seen as a pro, uh, a friend of our chief executive. So his, his appointment, which is like totally out of the blue, has been seen as, you know, one of the ways that the government is trying to intervene in university, you know, administration. So with this new sort of search for the vice president, yeah. it's, I mean, it's almost, uh, we almost look set to appointing definitely a yes man, you know. So, and, and of course, the, the, this other thing, with this umbrella movement thing, um, we, uh, the Culture Studies Department, are definitely very openly, you know, supportive mm. to the whole course and supportive of our, our students. During the movement, some of our students are actually Quite a lot of us, not not well. I mean, around like a dozen or so, have been, uh, including master our master program students, have been uh, actually participating in the movement, even more so, have been arrested. And we, act, at a, at a as the department, issued an open statement in support of these students and calling on the government, you know, for you know, uh, more sort of liberal stance towards them. And we've been seen, of course, as a, someone who's basically stick, stuck our heads out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and some people are, uh, are very, very uh, concerned that you know, we as a department could you know, be sort of the next, uh, you know, to, could be on the, held on the line. You know? yeah. And so far, you know, nothing of this has happened. Uh, but then, of course, in, in minor ways, we've been told that, you know, um, they're, they're making our lives, you know, uh, worse, you know, so that we, 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 we'll be meeting more obstacles in whatever we are applying for and stuff. But we've yet to see. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we're seeing that in a, a general picture that uh, the government is moving on to uh, academic freedoms, if not already. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's they're def definitely moving into you know um, different aspects of life, and the other issue is about uh, 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 student union. So um, the Federation of Students, which is like you know the uh, you know the alliance mm. that's the alliance of uh, you know student unions across mm -hmm. universities, mm -hmm. they have been you know definitely in the front line uh, with all these uh, those. Uh, uh, executive secretaries, um, you know, sort of uh, being being held as heroes, 
And after the movement, um, a lot of the uh, increasing voices at different universities have been calling out to, to oppose against the Federation of Students, even to vote uh, to, uh, to detach themselves, separate themselves from the Federation of Students. So, so you know, things are really moving you know, at the students' level already. So are there also conservative forces amongst the students oh, and their own lot. bureaucracy that don't like the umbrella movement? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. No, there are de definitely uh, pro-establishment pro pro forces. And are they in particular disciplines, would you say? Does it map onto disciplines or universities or anything like that? Um, well, I think with... I think Hong Kong U and Chinese U are the being the two most prestigious universities, you can see more of these, you know, sort of uh, voices, at, which led us to believe that, you know, there's definitely someone behind this, you know, to try to, you know, put a stronger yeah. grasp onto two most uh, important universities here in Hong Kong. Uh, but here in, in Langnan, because, you know, we are, we are almost seen as, you know, the kind of activist department, um, we, we're seeing growing voices uh, at our university against, you know, uh, uh, pro-democracy forces. Um, so the other, the other growing force is what we call the localism people. Uh -huh. Localists, uh, I mean, by, by localists, they are basically saying that, you know, uh, we should we should be independent from, from Beijing. Uh, these are the more radical, you know, yeah. sort of left-wing, oh, well, you can't really tell it whether left they're left right or right. problematic continuum to exactly, use in the exactly. Hong Kong or Chinese yeah, cases. Yeah, it's no, it's no yeah. sort of uh, distinct kind of, yeah. you know, discrete yeah. kind of. So that basically they're calling, calling for independence. So self-determination. Yes, self-determination. Hong Kong is a sovereign entity. Yeah. And that's so, powerful at Lingnan. Um, I wouldn't say just in Langnan, uh, even in Ho at Hong Kong U. Uh, recently, there is uh, uh, this university magazine has published an article called, uh, you know, Determination for Hong Kong. And there's no, uh, it's not obvious that they have uh, been aligned with these localism forces. Um, but, you know, there's definitely increasing voices to call for, you know, independence of Hong Kong. But then, you know, you see these, you know, uh, diverse voices happening at different universities, mm. which is definitely going to break up, you know, uh, student, uh, university students as a force. And that's probably, you know, going, I mean, going, f uh, what's the word, uh, supporting, uh, which is probably down um, Beijing's, um, you know, alley. Yeah, because what well, they want to do divide is, to, yeah, to divide people. Now, Lisa, what's your take on this? Obviously, you're in favor of a democracy movement. Are you in favor of the localism, the self-determination position? Um, actually, I don't think we have too much of a you know ground for that. Uh huh. Because I mean, I mean, uh, I of course we want to demand for more uh, uh, what's the word autonomy. Mm. Okay. In and preserving our, you know, our democracy stands uh, to uh, ensure justice, you know, uh, and fairness for yeah. all and stuff. I'm, I'm all maybe I'm just uh, part of the old school type, you know, all for the universal, you know, <laughs> values, democratic values. Uh, I'm all for one country, two system, because at the end of the day, we are under you know, the Chinese sovereignty. 
so uh, I'm 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 skeptical of you know the the political sort of agenda behind these localism forces because uh, I think we don't have you know I mean we we, we don't have I mean the, th the part of the localism forces are calling sort of summoning this whole very parochial kind of oh you know we we want to stick to you know. Uh, the sort of indigenous Hong Kong, you know, uh, anti-cosmopolitan, anti-cosmopolitan, yeah. you know, uh, um, you know, directions, and I think that's the, that that's a very bad. In other words, know, we're localists who want to go against everything that Hong Kong stands for. Exactly. In a bizarre exactly. way. Is yeah, right? in a bizarre way. Right. Um, and right. at the end of the day, I'm re we're really not sure, you know, what the. Uh, what the uh, of, uh, genuine political agenda of these people? Okay, so so then oh we call for independence, but then you know where do we you know we are we are very low in our own natural endowments. We are dependent on China in many ways, right? So I, I don't really think that we have a basis for that. Yeah, at a political economic level, it's very hard to imagine. Mm, exactly. Very hard to imagine. Exactly, and 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 uh, I I'm I'm just worried that at the end of the day they are actually going against uh, basically saying that oh uh, we are left with ourselves, so that you know these you know these somebody who have got self interest in them could call themselves ruler or something, you know it's just right. another maybe just a, another sort of smoke screen for you know something. There's so often ugliness in nationalism and self-determination, yes. even as there is so often at least a kernel of legitimacy and importance in it. And it's very hard to distinguish these things and to unearth exactly what the agendas are of those Exactly, exactly. I mean, nationalism is a dangerous word, yeah. right? You know, we can see examples, you know, in different parts of the world. You know, yeah. it, can, it can be very, you know, sort of ethnocentric. It, uh, and the ways they do it, they mobilize, is almost likened to fascist elements, yeah, yeah. right? You know, oh, you know, um, we as a people, we as uh, we are a common race, we are a common, you know, the whole thing about yeah. you know anti-locust movements, it's actually worrying. Yeah, I mean, this is just racism at its as its worst, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's not even racist because we are not different in race. You know, we are not even different in ethnicity. Yeah. So, but then the kind of racism mentality is actually really, you know, just horrendous. Mm. And so, you know, they are, they are at the backbone of all this whole you know, anti-locust movement and the recent sort of uh, um, protests in shopping centers against, you know, the wave of uh, mainland Chinese tourists. I mean, the, the, these individuals are not to blame, but the system itself is Mr. to blame. Can you tell me about those protests? Um, we're about halfway through our conversation. What I'd love to do is talk a bit about that and then get more onto you, if that's all right. Sure, yeah. yeah. No, enough of this, let's talk about me, right? Oh, well, but that's a central concern, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> these shopping centre protests against... Chinese tourists tell me about that because I was with a friend the other night on the subway who said to me, oh, I can tell they're all from China. Mm -hmm. You can tell from what they're shopping for. Look at all these advertisements for uh, baby's milk because the baby's milk. Oh, I'm all right actually. Next. Could I get some tea though? I'd love some green tea. Sure. Thank you. Do you want some more of this? I, I'm Maybe fine some? with this. You're right. Yeah. Okay. But I'd love a little green tea. Thank you. Uh, look, at all, look at all these advertisements for baby's milk 
That's mm. because you can trust the baby's milk in Hong Kong to be safe, as you can't in China. Look at all these people buying gold. That's because they can trust that it will be what it says yes. it is in Hong Kong and you yeah. can't in China. Yeah. What is the protest movement in shopping centers against these shopping tourists? It's it's a, a really convoluted kind of, you know, but, um, yeah, um, a mentality against the Chinese um, and which manifests itself, you know, into the, these kind of, you know, guerrilla kind of, you know, um, protests within shopping centers. Um, there are two, there are two um, um, aspects to this. One is against the kind of the, 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 the just nonstop flow of mainland Chinese tourists. Yeah. Because uh, it's millions every year. Isn't it? Oh, Literally definitely. In the tens Just of millions. Just the Chinese coming. year alone, yeah. it's estimated that 200,000 tourists come over. So that's over the last five days, five yes. or six days. Yes, yes. And you, uh, if, if you sort of look at a wider outset, you know, we've been put up, putting up with this, you know, day in and day out for, you know, the past two, three years. And you know, it just basically crowds the, the public transport, and uh, given a space which is so you know we have got so limited space, you know, it becomes you know um, magnified. And uh, I mean, the common if you talk to common you know Hong Kong people, you they would be complaining about the fact that you know uh, they basically you know crowd the spaces, um, their their feet are ran over by all these you know. All the suitcases. <laughs> right, backpacks, wheelies. Exactly. Right, right, exactly. right, right. And of course, the tumble. I mean, it's. <laughs> we've all been that tourist. We've all been that person. Of course, I'm one at the moment, mm -hmm. although I'm on a working visa here. And those feelings are really easily understood of annoyance. But they can lead to bigotry, racism, the ethnocentrism you were talking about. Yeah, and a denial of the reality of the value of the tourist as part of everyday life, and the fact that we're almost all going to be tourists at some point. In our exactly. Life. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's just that you know, especially a place in a place like Hong Kong, you know, we mm. have been, you know, we have been uh, depending on our tourist economy. Yeah. Years and years and years. So much so that you know, we are basically you know, our part part of us are tourists. Because we are definitely, you know, our spaces collide with the tourist spaces. Yeah. And, I mean, lots of the, you know, the shopping malls have become, you know, theme parks, basically. So and who, who are the people engaged in these protests? These are perhaps not cultural studies students. No, I don't think so. Uh, but these are, these are definitely the supporters of, you know, this kind of localism movement, uh -huh. uh, anti-locust movements who have been, you know, basically, you know, sort of steadily, you know, um, Increasing in in terms of the supporters, and uh, these these two uh, separate uh, protest protests uh, in one in uh, Tunmun and one the other one in Shatin a week later, uh, they they called on mobilized by netizens, and where of course all these localism you know uh, uh, groups are based. And uh, so that's why, you know, they, they're basically doing these, you know, sort of uh, flash mob or you know, mm. guerrilla kind of protest uh, in shopping centers. Uh, so they're not there just to protest against the, the tourists, but also the shopping, so the shops who, you know, kept on you know, selling and looking up to mainland Chinese tourists at the expense of local, local shoppers. 
like you know there's been there's been uh, a lot of discussions about the fact that uh, shopkeepers you know sort of turn what's the word look down on local Hong Kong you know uh, shoppers because they don't shop as much so then you know the sh the, the, the sales people uh, are all you know sort of speaking Mandarin <laughs> because they, they, they are on these mainland Chinese tourists for big you know bigger money right so so you know it's, it's basically a, a convoluted but also very complicated kind of mentality that fed into you know this kind of protest movements yes and do we know anything about the social composition of the movements the movements you mean the protesters yeah uh, we would think that there's definitely uh, today no sort of scientific surveys yeah. around, you know who these people are but in general we believe that these are um, these are working class uh, working class young people mostly uh, who are uh, mobilized on the online by these online celebrities uh, who basically you know sort of preach about you know the philosophy behind localism and also the claim that they are the sort of the ultra authentic left-wing people believers of left-wingism and yeah and so so yeah they attract a lot of uh, supporters online some of them are also university students uh, and so and, and I think they, they enjoy you know uh, being there for fun even right you know? And, right. and so, so there's a lot of pleasure, you know, in in the protests, especially uh, in the in shopping spaces, which were, yeah, they're basically, you know, are playing a joke against, you know, shopping spaces as, oh, you know, you have to buy, and this is also related to, you know, this right, um, this 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 kind of uh, another aspect of movement, which is called, which we all very uh, uh, passionately call Go Wu movement. You've heard of it, right? Mm, yes. Mm. Yeah. So this this thing, this term about go war, is basically basically a kind of mock a mockery uh, at mainland Chinese shoppers, too, because the word go war is in, in Mandarin shopping. But now, of course, they've turned the whole you know thinking into you know protest movements. So every night in Hong Kong, it's kind of you know sort of uh, steadied uh, you know in the past few weeks, but uh, every night, somebody would gather in Mong Kok, just walk up and down Nathan Road, and uh, claiming to be shopping, sort of in the middle of the night. And obviously, they're not because the shops would have closed. But then, you know, they said, "Yo, I'm we just looking for, you know, shopping." But then they will just uh, hold out the yellow umbrella. Yes. That's so it becomes quite symbol. a yeah. So it's it it becomes quite a you know a protest culture in the Mong Kok space. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, you know, we are in fascinating times. Yeah. <laughs> so part of my research is talking about myself now. Yes, that's right. <laughs> this is what the listeners are really waiting for. Oh, right. Um, this becomes part of my research yes. to look into how, um, you know, the social media becomes, of course, a, you know, a, a site for mobilization and... Uh, uh, independent and alternative news media uh, during this umbrella movement. So uh, next Tuesday, for example, I'll be you know um, interviewing some of the uh, founders of these uh, online news media, independent news media. Um, 
when I go to the sites, uh, Mong Kok site, uh, as they would be, you know, collecting uh, real, uh, real-time sort of uh, footage of the Gowu movement. Wow! So it'd be, it could be interesting That's next exciting. Tuesday. That's yeah, really yeah, exciting. yeah. And what will you do with the footage? I'm not doing the footage. They are doing the footage, oh, doing but the I'll, I'll be doing, you know, some kind of field field research yeah. to see how they how they operate, basically how these. Um, uh, online independent media operate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about some of the uh, better known uh, uh, websites uh, like SOCREC, mm-hmm. uh, so Social Recording, that's what they call themselves. They basically have been providing uh, real-time footage of you know the protest movements at various sites, and uh, it's 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 operated by a few young men, <laughs> mostly men. Uh, who would be going down to these sites every night until like four in the morning uh, and feeding real-time reporting. Not reporting, but footage. uh, With sort of like a one sort of line of narration, what's happening now in Mong Kok. And of course, they were were covering these protests in Timon and Sha Tin. And so, yeah, so basically I just uh, go and see how they operate. Wow, that's interesting. Well, can we go back a little bit in history now to talk about your career, Lisa, and how you got to be mm. where you are? Is that all right? Could sure. we do that? Yeah. So let's start out back in undergrad. So. Oh, okay. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> Doesn't look like it. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Uh, it's um, like only yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I graduated uh, with in communications. I um, I majored in uh, English journalism, my first degree. And where, where was that? That was Baptist, Baptist University Communication Department, oh, right. and now School of Communication. And uh, I w- thought that I would be, you know, ending up as a journalist when South I, China Morning Post was calling out to you. You thought? Yes, actually, I uh, turned down their cadetship. <laughs> in favor of a research assistant job because at that time uh, that was like round about the handover yep. and um, I, I was uh, well uh, talking about you know how movements really change people's mindsets I think for Ma for me it would definitely be June 4th movement mm. uh, because um, I was at the university when June 4th movement ha- happened and it really you know changed a lot of you know us and so I was kind of determined to, you know, be a journalist, but also to be a well-informed journalist. Uh, <laughs> but then, but then I was thinking, oh, you know, because there's a lot of uncertainty then in Hong Kong, you know, uh, yeah. if if we would have, if Beijing would just close the doors once and for all, uh, anything could happen, you know. Uh, uh, during the handover or after the handover, so I don't know. You know, maybe just panic attack. I was thinking, oh, if I was, uh, I was determined to take up further studies. I might as well do it sort of uh, immediately. Now, yeah. Now, seize the day. And so I, I kind of, you know, I was like sitting there uh, when they had the deadline. It was sort of one hand for the sort of a letter of offer by SCMP and another letter of offer by you know this. Um, academic, and I was like, uh, okay, all right, I've decided, research. 
So that kind of seals my my future, basically. So, so where did you go on to further study? I went uh, I went to University of Sussex. Uh, I did my PhD there. Um, I did a research into women's magazines, but from a sort of globalization point of view. And I joined uh, what was then the early days of the media and cultural studies department, where uh, Roger Silverstone was uh, was still there. And so yeah, so I, I spent a few the next few years as as a um, and then I was actually working part time for the BBC, mm -hmm. and which I later on worked as full time, uh, doing my final days of my you know of my thesis writing. So. Roundabout handover, I, I have finished my PhD and I decided, okay, it's about time to go back. Uh, so I came back and I landed on this job, uh, the department. Well, it was not uh, quite cultural, cultural studies, studies department then. Yeah. It was um, actually School of General Education. But then they already had plans to uh, set up a cultural studies department. So I basically was here at the right time. And uh, yeah, so that was it. I suppose. Now, getting back to Sussex, that was a time when there was a bit of work being done on magazines there, wasn't there? Um, my supervisor was Janice Winship. Yeah, who wrote a book on women's magazines. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And so uh, I thought, uh, yeah, I was, I was doing a, a, a research into uh, cosmopolitan. So then when I was there at Sussex, uh, I was actually basically initiated into cultural studies. I uh, started reading you know, things about cultural studies and uh, did my turn <laughs> into cultural studies. Uh, and I was, uh, yeah, as I, I benefited from, uh, of course, the supervision of Janice Winship, uh, who basically inspired me to uh, put the whole issue about uh, women's magazines into the Hong Kong context. Mm. Uh, how, you know, Hong Kong readers, given our you know, sort of uh, socio-political and cultural uh, specificity, specificity, how we would have, you know, uh, read Cosmopolitan or international women's magazines like Cosmopolitan in a different way. So then it basically, you know, sets a tone of, uh, of my thesis. And uh, yeah, never, never thought about going back ever since then. Now, working at BBC, what did you do? I was working at, at the Cantonese section, a mm -hmm. uh, very small section. Uh, in the World the, Service? In the World Service, yeah. yeah. So it was uh, BBC World Service Radio. So I was working at the at Bush House. Uh, if you know the geography, it's uh, near nearest station is Holborn. <laughs> yes, and sadly shut down now. Yes. You know, the World Service is part of Broadcasting House. and. Tragic moment, but anyway, yes, dear old Bush House, wonderful place. Wonderful place. Uh, I uh, wear a lot, a lot in mm. terms of broadcasting. It's funny. Uh, it's actually ironical because uh, I actually studied print journalism, but then I never got into print journalism. You a I became a broadcaster, and which was actually really helpful because you know, with radio journalism, it's like really spot on, and uh, I basically you know was trained in both translation and you know production. So I, uh, back at the BBC, I had to do these cultural programs, art programs, and I would do art features uh, that got me into interviewing, you know, sort of uh, famous producers like John Woo and uh, famous composers who happened to, you know, sort of uh, 
you know, go to go to London Come for to various London. sorts of reasons. And God, uh, in LA, I once tried to get money out of John Wu. He's an inscrutable guy. What was he like to interview? Oh, cool. maybe easier in Cantonese than in English. But um, really hard to get money out of. His son was a student at the university where I worked. Was it? So I was dispatched on a mission mm-hmm. to try to screw money out of him. And I'm the last person to be sent on such a mission. Uh-huh. But he's the last person to receive such a mission. Lovely man. Lovely guy, yeah. Not easy to open up, I thought. Not easy to open up because he's he's got his own, you know, sort of mind into, you know, mindset into, you know, various yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. And, um, I mean, uh, he's a no-fuss guy too, you know. Yeah. no bullshit. Uh, no bullshit. Um, yeah. But, I mean, in terms of sound bites, awful. Yeah, because there's he's, nothing there. It, I, you have to understand that I was working with reels then. And, and you she's making, understand... She's making that wonderful motion that people do, moving her fingers round and round <laughs> on the table in concentric circles in opposite directions, which is what all of us who worked in tape in radio, because I used to work in radio too, Lisa, had oh. to do. Cutting this stuff, making it stick it's together. God, it was painful. awful. People have no idea. I mean, people, when we talk about yeah. how, you know, the good and the bad of a digital... My God, there's something not to love about a lot of the very material aspects. And you've got to be really, really economical. You really, oh. It makes you think. It makes oh. you really sensitive, audio sensitive, isn't it? You know, it actually helps, uh, helps, uh, helps me a lot you know, in my teaching. Like, oh, you develop skills. It's just skills, it's so yeah. much fucking work. I know, I know. And so fidgety. And I always felt as though I feel this today with telephones. Uh-huh. My fingers are too big. Mm. I think the world's fingers must be getting smaller. We're evolving to match cell phones. Cell phones are made for nine-year-old girls to use, as far as I can tell. Anyway. Or, or dowager fingers. Or dow- dowager fingers. I've heard that expression. I'm waiting to <laughs> develop them. I like it. Old maid fingers. That's what I like. I want old, old, ma- old maid fingers. <laughs> Stop it. Anyway, in all seriousness, so there you and I were, although I'm, I was doing it many years before you were, and in a much less important oh, wow. environment. <clears throat> mucking about doing this stuff and you learn a lot there's no doubt about it absolutely no question but it's hard work isn't it putting that stuff together and when you don't have a sound bite and I'm kind of relieved to find out that John Woo was like that in Cantonese as in English he really because difficult. he's um because he's someone who is serious very serious yes. uh, but then you know he talks while thinking and then he gets a and then there's just, just no it's just no, you know, nowhere to cut, right? There's, there's no flow. There's him. no. There's no flow. Or he he just connects, you know, uh, his 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 lines, his sentences with uh, and then you know, come on, bullshit. I'm all right. That's fine. Yeah. So where do you cut? Where do you cut? Yeah. You know, is is the you know, so um, he's he's worse in that way. Uh, apart from that, he's a very good guy, very nice guy. Yep. But then. It's it's uh it's actually a fun time, you know, because you get to meet a lot of different people. Of course, you get you get tickets to to all sorts of shows. Okay. You know, like celebrities, like you know, oh, I was I was having a crush, and I still do on uh, flamenco, and one of those you know, world class you know, um, uh, bailadores, mm. uh, actually uh would be Joaquin Cortez. I so remember. In these best seats, you know, at one of the theatres, uh, is it Silas Wells, um, watching him? 
So Fancy. you get all these tickets. Did you notice any of the women on the stage, or you only noticed him? I do yeah. notice the women because they are all you know, designed by uh, Versace. Uh huh. So yeah, I am definitely you know eyeing on the, <laughs> the women, but yeah, it's 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 good in that way. You know, I get to visit all sorts of galleries and uh, you know shows and performances. And uh, it was a wonderful time. wonderful time. But then, you know, enough is enough, I suppose. Because How long were you in Britain? In, in uh, six years. Six years. And what did you... Is there any way people can access some of your dissertation? Is any of it online? Um, some, some of them have been published in book chapters. Uh -huh. um, otherwise, of course, the whole thesis... Well, the, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, I just um, uh, didn't bother to... Well, which is basically quite stupid of me, to not have published my thesis. But then, when I, as soon as I got back to Hong Kong, I realized, you know, the whole discussion around women's magazines is basically not on the agenda. And since, you know, that's, uh, you know, still the post-handover days, um, I was just so too keen to get into, you know, you know, the popular discussions. Yeah. Then, so that's why I just thought, okay, I just put it put it aside. I'll I'll get back to it. But of course, you know, the longer you away from it, just, you know, and before long, I just thought I just didn't, I couldn't summon enough, enough, you know, sort of motivation to yeah. go back on it. Because, of course, you know, it's always a gap to fill, you know, between thesis and, you know, its publishable state. So, and I got interested in um, Japanese, uh, Japanese dramas mm -hmm. and the whole sort of globalization thesis. And that's what got me to be noticed, I suppose, in you know Asian media and cultural studies, mm -hmm. uh, because I was one of the first people to go into the study of uh, transnational consumption of Japanese dramas in the late 1990s, and then afterwards onto uh, Korean wave, of course. Yes. Where I, you know, I, I started my research into the Korean wave. Before it got really, you know, a big hit yeah. in 2002, 2003. So I was, I could say I was one of the first batch of, uh, you know, academics who went to Korea as a foreigner mm. to study the phenomenon of Korean wave. Mm. And I still remember to date, you know, how it got received. Um, they were awfully helpful. Um, someone got to, uh, I actually talked to the Consul General here in Hong Kong, Korean Consul General, who was very helpful in putting me through, in touch mm. with uh, government officials or government researchers, and who I find, wow, you know, they are so serious into, you know, uh, research into the media, various sorts of media. And so uh, I made my first trip in um, 2002, uh, interviewing uh, government researchers, yeah. and uh, yeah, and they and they were very they were very surprised. Like they kept on asking me this question, like, um, why are you so interested in our in our <laughs> Korean dramas? I said, well, uh, it's not just your drama now. It's <laughs> it's basically circulated, you know, and you know, it plays such hype, you know, across Asia. So that's that's where I come from, and uh, of course, uh, soon afterwards, you know, a lot of people started to you know get very interested in the phenomenon of Korean wave. I mean, even now, uh, a lot of postgraduate students um, all over Europe and America sure. and Asia, big, you know, big deal. yeah, researching into K-pop, and uh, yeah. it's like okay, fine. <laughs>
<laughs> but now it's into K-pop. Um, there is less interest into you know Korean dramas yeah. as uh, than before. So I I I I was told years afterwards that you know, I belong to the first wave of Korean wave researchers yeah, right. because I was only interested in you know, Korean dramas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I I thought. I thought, well, uh, yeah, I think Korean dramas have a lot to offer, uh, but I'm not personally very interested in in Korean dramas. But still, you know, I'm very interested in the phenomenon itself. And so, yeah, so then I spent quite a few years uh, researching into various dramas, and then uh, that also got me to um, to give guest talks in um, China, in Korea, in Hong Kong. You know, I got uh, interviewed by different kinds of uh, media onto the phenomenon. I also write a lot about uh, commentaries about Korean Wave. So, yeah. And uh, are those commentaries things people could read? Are they in Cantonese or in English? Or um, in I wrote Korean? some of them in, in English, uh, most of them in Chinese. Yeah. Uh, because I thought, you know, um, of course, uh, I would want to you know, uh, contribute to the discussion in Hong Kong yeah. and, of course, the Chinese-speaking community. Yeah. Uh, because Also because I got interviewed uh, many times by uh, Chinese-speaking media. So I thought, yeah. there, there must be a lot of readership, you know, yeah, in this so part of... I can make of... my points. And um, the stuff that's in English, where could people find that? Is there an easy, consolidated place? What, how would they search for it? Well, I recently uh, I kept on being uh, notified on uh, by uh, Google mm -hmm. that you know uh, or academia.edu you know some of my most read <laughs> articles. I suppose Google search. Yeah. Um, and uh, I suppose that's it. You know, some of my articles are published in uh, Media Culture Society. Yes. Some of them in Inter Interasia Culture Studies. Yeah. And, and what about people who maybe don't have access to? Libraries that would have subscriptions to those. Are there any things like in newspapers or magazines that might be available online for free if, if there's a, a wall that stops people from going to visit Sage or Taylor and Francis publications? Well, um, um, since I wrote most, most of these articles, um, I, I, re, I write, I write as newspapers, commentaries, and uh, commentaries yeah. for uh, digests, local media digests. So um, a lot of Hong Kong readers would uh, be able to access able to them, right. and uh, I I've done my own Google search. And I think some of the articles are <laughs> it's, it's important to do your own Google search <laughs> when you are most up, you know, sort of down and <laughs> and and uh, I actually interestingly enough um, I actually find myself quoted uh, quite a lot of times um, in mainland Chinese articles. Is this true? Do you think that academics, when they're feeling really demoralized, <laughs> see whether anybody's read their work? I mm. wonder. Mm. Maybe it's our therapy. It is. It is. Um, when you're doubting. I mean, our uh, we are one of the most, I, I would say, we are one of the most reflective. Uh, <laughs> Could we say self-obsessed? Self-absorbed <laughs> people in the world. So we, we, I do, you know, sort of oftentimes question, you know, why am I doing this? You yeah. know, how, how would people benefit from this? You know, do I have enough, you know, stuff to write about this? You know, 
So I have got all this, you know, oftentimes I have got a healthy dosage of identity crisis. So yeah, I might need a bit of that therapy from time to time. So uh, yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to, you know, go on Google search to see, you know, how many people are reading and what sort of stuff they're reading about you. And, and you know, in Google, they, they, uh, they have this, I don't know how, you know, uh, function that uh, your, how your name would be associated with, you know, some other terms. Oh yes, who are your other terms or people? <laughs> Lingnan University. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so, so which could mean that, uh, well, some people, a lot of people are reading my articles maybe, and uh, some of the um, people will be reading uh, articles that quoted me yeah. or that interviewed me. You know, that's why I will always have my title there. You have these associations. Now, one last question, um, or two last questions. One question is, Will you come back to the pod another time, next time we meet perhaps, or next time you're in whatever country I'm in, because I'd love to do more of this. But the second thing, second question is, what's your take on the Korean wave? How did it happen? What does it mean? Which I know could be a podcast all its own. It could be. I could talk, talk most freely about Korean wave for long hours. Um, I mean, Korean wave is, uh, by now, of course, it has got its, it's, 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 it's a metamorphosis almost, mm. right? You know, it goes on, you know, a life pattern and a span on its own. The reason why Korean Wave is such an interesting thing is, uh, compared to, like, you know, Japanese popular culture is that um, we actually witnessed how it rose to, you know, popularity. And there's a lot of, you know, questions that could be asked, you know, from, both from a cultural question to a political economy question. Uh, but then, of course, it's it's actually going on to 12 years now, and we're still seeing part of it riding strong, or trying to sustain itself um, at at a time when there's a lot of uh, um, issues that come out, you know, to the detriment of the Koreans, for example, uh, like the growing wave of uh, cosmetic surgery, which is which is another, you know, sort of globalized <laughs> cultural phenomenon. Um, you can see a lot of these spin-offs and yeah. moments where, you know, as, as popular as it is, you know, it's got its you know, sort of moments of, uh, you know, irony and, uh, you know, sort of self-parody almost. So, I mean, my take on, on Korean Wave is that, uh, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's not going to be, uh, it's mostly going to be fad. And of course, you know, if you employ the cultural globalization thesis, I mean, it's it's basically what's the part of cultural level that is um, circulated is only about consumerism and about the you know, popular fads, whereas you know nothing is about you know, the so-called you know uh, deeper deeper side of Korean culture, and it could uh, it could entice a lot of uh, overreading of Korean culture. If we are looking at you know, whether or not Korean Wave uh, solicits better cultural understanding, you can see that you know on a geopolitical level it has brought about as much of a cultural understanding as you know politics, right? Uh, the growing uh, mounting cultural nationalism against Korea, um, and I mean, and uh, to of course, there's a lot of uh, the growing hostility from the Japanese against Korea. Yeah. So I mean, on the balance books of things, you know, 
you can't really tell how much Korean culture can benefit cultural understanding even within Asia. In terms of how it began, how it got going, I'm very interested by your remark to the effect that government researchers with whom you spoke when you first went there in about 2002 were surprised at your interest because I've always thought that the state was involved in the development and certainly the export of the Korean way, just as it was important in the big conglomerates mm. in mm. manufacturing, mm. in refrigerators and cars. So also, the export push in part derived from state participation. Mm -hmm. And in Korean wave, you can see quite an um, strong hand from the Korean government mm. in helping to promote Korean, Korean wave uh, worldwide. Mm. Um, at the start, um, even though you know it's it's actually um, what's what induced by the industry itself, as I uh, kept on being reminded by by the Korean industry, <laughs> that was not the Korean government who set this all up. But then the the Korean government was quick to pick on this, and they uh, they did uh, their best to help promote Korean wave worldwide. Uh, they set up a lot of uh, research institutes within the government to to try to to map, you know, um, media industry with trade with tourism. Yeah. Uh, so then, and also, you know, they are very smart to uh, promote Korean dramas and films in selective markets. So they help identify uh, the European market as a one that uh, looks more into art house productions, whereas you know they identify the Asian market as more so celebrity based. Yeah. So they basically um, help strategize the promotion of Korean uh, media products worldwide. Um, they were very keen to set up Korean media uh, as their you know exporting sort of trade. Yeah. Uh, because they saw a lot of you know, benefits really. So if you if you analyze you know uh, uh, Korean wave the success of Korean wave you've got to look at you know, the role of the Korean government mm. in helping to okay. promote these. I'm very tempted. I think you should have another one. <laughs> another one, yeah. And so, uh, I'll have another one too now that I've had my restorative pot of tea. <laughs> yes, the same as my, my friend was having the uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc, and I'll have the Sauvignon Blanc also. So no more tea, just no more tea. Just, just to prove that we have been on Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> to the listeners. Absolutely not. Well, Lisa, thank you very... You're not allergic, are you? No, Everybody no, no. nowadays is allergic. In London, you can't bring nuts to school and you can't bring chocolate to school Oh, due wow. to the level of allergies. Incredible. Well, on really? that spectacular note, I'm going to draw a close to this podcast conversation. It's been fantastic seeing you again. Really been same looking forward here, to possibly doing that. Thank you so much for your generosity, Lisa. You've taught me more in the last hour than I think I've learned in the last 56 years. On so Korean wave. <laughs> <laughs>